Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So if you will allow me to off the top of the program today, I want to use the words of a writer for ESPN as a way of continuing a conversation we've had kind of ongoing now for a little while about Georgia on the offensive side of the ball in particular. And if you don't get anything else from what I'm about to say, here's the thing I want you to notice in a couple of minutes' time. Kirby Smart is quite confident, I believe, my ears uh, sort of suggest to me, that Kirby Smart is quite confident about his offense for the upcoming season. It's the kind of thing that you ought to notice. And when we look ahead of the 2022 campaign, we believe around here that Georgia is actually pretty undervalued. And, you know, there's all kinds of talk about what the possible regression might be for the Georgia defense, and that may just be uh you know just a virtual certainty when you lose five first round picks off the defense you may be heading for something of a regression here this upcoming season but on the flip side of that Georgia may also be continuing its progression on offense two years worth of Todd Munkin each of those years dramatically better than they were the year before and now maybe even more of that in store for 2022 there as well that's what we're going to get today before we're done here in a few minutes but first let me start this way so there's a guy named David Hale for ESPN.com and he's actually done and this has to be laborious chore and we'll do more on this uh, a bit later on with our SEC through but he has put every quarterback in like the division one FBS level into a tier at ESPN.com at the very top tier this is like the Bryce Young CJ Stroud type group and in a tier all by himself you have Stetson Bennett near the top ahead of a lot of the other kind of big names there in the SEC but the point here is and we'll kind of share you more details on this later to even like list every quarterback in college football takes a, a lot of time but to list them in some sort of tier in comparison to other quarterbacks I mean this had to be a good bit of work for David Hale so credit to him for putting his back into this one and kind of getting it done But in kind of putting uh, Bennett at a tier near the top of a quarterback who's just not getting enough credit, he says, not getting enough respect, he says, I thought there was a couple of sentences that Hale wrote at ESPN.com this week about uh, Stetson Bennett that I thought were kind of interesting. As I said before, it kind of sets us up to hear more from Kirby on what he said about the Georgia offense within the last 24 hours. Let me show you this and see how much the words here for uh, Stetson Bennett maybe echo your own. He says the discussion surrounding Bennett, even after winning the national championship last year, has grown more tiresome. It's true that Bennett wasn't a star recruit and doesn't have an elite arm and probably doesn't have serious NFL future. It's also true that he benefited from a genuinely great defense that routinely put him in position to succeed. But Georgia's offense was hardly laden with superstars last year, and Bennett's numbers, 3,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, speak for themselves, David Hale says there from ESPN.com, basically saying that, hey, all the chatter, all the debate around Bennett, whether it's at the national level or, in this case, sometimes even within the bubble of Dog Nation, kind of here at the local level, that it just sort of grows tiresome after a while. Now, I agree with Hale that the debate around all of this is tiresome, but my reason for feeling that way is actually different than what he says. To me, the thing that makes the, the Bennett debate tiresome is not the fact that Bennett had great numbers. The truth is he had you know pretty good numbers, some numbers better than others, uh, some of those numbers easier to understand, frankly, than others. The issue for me, though, is not what renders the Bennett debate tiresome, is not what Bennett himself did, but what the Georgia offense did in totality. And this is the thing that's always been true. 
that Georgia defensively was so good last season that it made it hard for people to understand just how good the offense was there as well. That if Georgia only had an average defense, or let's say if Georgia had the worst defense of the Kirby Smart era, which would have put you around like, what, 20th, 30th in the country maybe defensively, Georgia on the basis of its offense alone would have still allowed Georgia to enjoy almost all of the success that it enjoyed last season. The only regular season game that likely would have had a different outcome would have been the Clemson game at the beginning of the season. And as you know, Stetson Bennett didn't play in that game anyway. So the point here that for me, where I agree with David Hale is the argument around Stetson Bennett has been tiresome, but it's not because of what I think that Bennett is as a quarterback. Frankly, I think that's still to be determined. The ultimate legacy of Bennett is a signal caller. He's obviously won a national championship, but how good is he? How, how good is he individually? His final year at Georgia will help tell that story there a bit. For me, the, the the rebuke against the Bennett criticism, though, is the fact that he was a part of an offense that was humming right along pretty well, that was putting up you know nearly 40 points per game last year. We believe the ceiling's even higher this year, but it was putting up 38, 39 points per game last year, and that, that should be enough to end the discussion. What was Georgia offensively? Clearly good enough to win the national championship, and to that extent, uh, the writer at ESPN is right. It gets a little tiresome when you drag it out beyond that. But all of that is a way of leading into this. Someone else who's also still talking about uh, the Georgia offense is Kirby Smart himself. And you can't miss this. You can't miss this. For Smart, who I think, you know, generally speaking, likes to keep his cards pretty close to the vest, generally speaking, doesn't like to give too much away. In talking about, you know, kind of, and I'll lead this in, into this question from the Paul Feinbaum show yesterday. In talking about the identity of his team being a more defensive-minded program in the past because of Kirby's nature as a defensive-minded head coach, Kirby once again said something yesterday that we've played audio for you before in the last few days on where he goes back and reminds folks, hey, don't miss the fact that we were really, really good on offense last season. Don't miss this. We'll get to that here in a moment. But to set that up, Kirby also talked about his quarterback situation a little bit there uh, yesterday there as well. For a lot of Georgia fans, you know, they talk about the Bennett thing because they're also curious about what else Georgia has at quarterback beyond Stetson Bennett. And if you listen to the Fine Bomb show yesterday, the interview that Kirby did there, he also seems to think that Georgia's got some talent in this room beyond just that, uh, beyond just the starter that we all uh, became well aware of last year. Stetson Bennett as he led UJ to the national championship. Let me let you hear Kirby on that subject first, and then we'll hear some more from Kirby after that. Here's Kirby on quarterbacks. The best programs you've got good quarterback rooms, and we got a really good quarterback room. You know, we've got three guys and an incoming freshman that we think are talented. Uh, the three guys battled in the spring and, and got reps and grew. I was just so proud of Brock and Carson and how much better. They they got i can't wait to see the 29 practices they get leading up to the first game to continue to grow but within that stetson had a really good spring too stetson went out and made some plays he's grown and got better this is a guy that didn't get these reps you, you think of a national championship quarterback oh he got all the reps last spring he didn't he wasn't the guy he was third string last spring so some of these are his first time getting reps and he's also very comfortable in uh, coach muckin's offense which is going to give us a chance to be more successful it really is pretty amazing to me that Stetson had the success he enjoyed without really getting much chance to practice. This was true in 2020 when he stepped in. This was true in 2021 when he stepped in that he wasn't really getting those practice reps that you would give someone that you thought was going to be your starting quarterback. And actually, in each of those situations, Stetson stepped in and 
played really well and that's one of the reasons why that even if you assume Carson Beck is probably pretty good and you probably should or you assume that Brock Vandergriff is probably pretty good and you probably should assume that too and eventually maybe Gunnar Stockton will be very good there as well the truth is here in 2022 no matter how good those prospects are at the quarterback position beating out Bennett's going to be a difficult thing to do because he gained so much experience last year and certainly he had enough success to make you assume that he's probably going to be pretty hard to knock out of that quarterback spot here for this upcoming season and him at the helm for Georgia could certainly lead to some very good things offensively because that is what happened last season there as well which kind of brings me back to what I was sort of setting up a moment ago on uh Kirby Smart being asked hey you've been a defensive-minded team and Kirby Smart says yeah well, that's what we've been but man, did you notice how good we were offensively last season? This is the stuff from Smart you can't miss right now. A guy that you know doesn't like to give too much away, but if you really listen closely, I think you hear a coach that's pretty confident what his team can do on the offensive side of the ball for the upcoming season. Smart from the Feinbaum show yesterday. What has, because especially last year, right now, I saw people talk about five first-rounders on right. defense. That's an unbelievable stat. That's great. But what's overshadowed is we were one of the most explosive teams in college football last year. Now, we won a lot of games by a margin that we didn't get to continually pound people when, with explosive plays and numbers. But when you look at passes over 10 and 12 yards, we're top five, top ten in the country. So nobody even acknowledges that because they're <laughs> overshadowed by this. Uh, really good defense and we'll have to be even better and even more explosive on offense this year because we probably don't have five first rounders on our defense next year but we've got some really explosive offensive players now we've got a great offensive staff that they did some wonderful things as far as being explosives but we we probably didn't get the fourth quarter stats that some people had because early in our season we had some runs there where, where the games were out of hand so I think that's really interesting. I think there's a lot you could unpack there from Kirby Smart on that. Key takeaway for me is if you listen closely, he's pretty confident. And I think it's good that he's also defending the offensive performance from a year ago because, frankly, I think it deserves to be defending. I think there's a case to be made for it that Georgia actually was really good offensively last season. And listen, if you missed that, it's not Georgia's fault that you missed it. It's your fault for not paying close enough attention, whether you be media member around the country or fans sitting on your couch. If you missed Georgia being good offensively last season, it's you that wasn't paying attention. It's not a deficiency on the part of Georgia related to all of that. And I'll also say this, in Kirby Smart's kind of next tenure as a head coach, moving into what, is this year seven? Some of these years kind of uh, run together for me after a while. I think this is a coach that, by virtue of the way that he speaks, is clearly embracing the offensive side of the ball maybe more than he has in the past. There was a time in which, and we've even joked about this in the show before, he almost seemed to be taking kind of an us versus uh, you know them mentality that he talks about we and us when it's the defense, they and them when it's the uh, – when it's the offense that's just kind of the way that he used to discuss that boy it certainly seems like now if that was ever true for him before doesn't really feel as much true for this upcoming season he's more than comfortable it would certainly seem in embracing the offensive side leaning on that as a part of the recipe for success for Georgia here this year and that kind of embrace from a defensive-minded head coach who's turned the reins over to and we've now well-documented excellent offensive coordinator Todd Munkin, well-paid for the success that he's had, set up for even more success for the upcoming season. I think this ought to make you as a UGA fan quite optimistic. The truth is we don't think there's going to be a dramatic regression for the Georgia defense. They may not be as good as they were last year. It may be impossible to be that good, but we don't think it's going to be falling off the table from what Georgia was last season. Still one of the best defenses in the country for the upcoming season, but also once again, one of the best offense in the country there as well. The number you've heard me use before is about 42 points per game. 
I think that's the next step for Georgia offensively. And I think it's a reasonable step to take given what Munkin has done in each of his first two years there at UGA. When you hear the head coach bought in as much as he is right there, convinced of what Georgia did a year ago in belief of what they can do for the upcoming season, listen, there's a lot to be excited about as you head towards the 2022 campaign. This is Dog Nation Daily, and we are the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. I am Brandon Adams, and we're presented by Merriweather and Tharp here today. Whether you join us 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. One more day to do that live here this week, and then next week we'll be pre-recorded for some vacation shows. Thank you so much for allowing me to take a little vacation time, and we're working hard right now to get you some shows ready to go for next week. So there won't be a chance for me to interact with you live comments. You can obviously interact with each other and we'll get back to the first and 15 stuff like that again the following week after that but getting you ready for a uh, really cool week of shows next week some interesting topics i think we'll get a chance to explore some great uh insight from our guests so a lot coming up next week here on the program we're doing our part to get you ready for all of that here today and of course that's true for you know radio podcast everything else so 960 the ref in athens the apple player spotify all of those various podcast platforms however you're normally connecting with us we're just glad that you're doing that here today and a big thanks to our friends from merriweather and tharp for making it all possible you know merriweather and tharp is your source for georgia divorce and that is not a phrase that i use lightly with you because listen that's the kind of thing i take seriously it's the kind of thing that if you are going through it or if you fear you might be going through it soon you know it is a serious situation and listen the folks at merriweather and thought they understand that there as well it's the kind of thing obviously you probably have done everything you could to avoid but eventually you maybe you get into a position where you really can't avoid it anymore and at that point in time well it's time to hire merriweather and tharp and let them do great work for you but you may be saying well be i'm not ready to make that decision just as of yet totally get that you can move at your own pace on this in fact that's what they invite you to do the atlanta divorce team.com that's the website you can explore blog posts and podcasts and really just kind of educate yourself about what the divorce process even means there is probably you know, a few things that you immediately kind of think about in terms of how a divorce might impact you, but there may be other things that you haven't fully considered there yet as well. And that's why those free resources for you from Meriwether and Tharp allow you to get more acquainted with that. One of the things that allow you also to do is to ask better questions when you have that first free initial consultation with one of those Meriwether and Tharp attorneys. And you can tell your story, and sometimes it's just kind of nice to have somebody hear your story. And then after that, once you kind of process all of the available information that's when you're ready to make the decision to allow Meriwether and Tharp to walk with you through this divorce process so that's why I say they're your source for Georgia divorce they know it they've been through this type of stuff thousands of times they want to put that knowledge to work for you so find them online the Atlanta divorce team.com that's the Atlanta divorce team.com that'll get you in touch with Meriwether and Tharp all right it's Terrence Edwards coming up always fun to get a chance to chat with Terrence We'll do that here in a little bit. In fact, as a lead-in to Terrence, let me also go around the doghouse here for a moment and show you from Terrence Edwards on Twitter reaction that a lot of folks have had. We've seen recruits wearing the all-white uniforms, a alternate look that we haven't seen from UGA before, including the uh, never-before-seen white Georgia helmet. Do we have Terrence Edwards on this? Can we show this? So here's Terrence Edwards pointing out the all-white Georgia uniform. Now, before I get into this, are you also noticing this? And, you know, this photo shows it to you a little bit. There are other photos online that you can see this even more. That Georgia's constructed an arch throne, and not Arch Manning, but the like the the uh the arch, like the the campus arch, right? The academic symbol. And so they've kind of got like the arch 
throne going on here. I believe that might be new. At least it's new to me. I haven't really seen that before. So that's kind of a cool thing for the recruit, recruits to be sitting on when they uh, come by for their recruiting visits. Yeah, that's a little bit better look there at the arch throne there. You see the Georgia G right in the middle. And the uh, – yeah, yeah, uh, obviously that could work well for Arch Manning there as well. The uh, Georgia Arch uh, for Arch Manning will be in town here this weekend. You see the woodworking there. You get the Georgia uh, uh, dog faces. It's very well done. It looks certainly befitting of a, uh, of a monarch. And it's cool to see that there for these recruits there on campus. But the thing that's gotten a lot of attention are the all-white Georgia uniforms. We talked the other day about white pants, and it looked like a couple of recruits were wearing white pants in videos. And I told you I'm colorblind, so sometimes I can't quite tell what these guys are wearing. But in this particular case, an all-white uniform, including a white helmet. If you're listening to radio podcasts, I'll describe it. It's got the, uh, the red, white, and black stripe down the middle like the uniform pants do. And it's got the, obviously the customary G, but it is a white helmet. Terrence Edwards saying on Twitter to Josh Brooks, the athletic director, please, 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 we have to rock these uniforms at some point. He says they are fire using that uh, emoji there in his tweet. And the sense that I get, and that's not universal. We've heard from some commenters on video today that they like the traditional look a little bit more. But the sense that I get right now is that the majority of Georgia fans are kind of feeling the same way that Terrence is they'd like to see this kind of alternate look more often whether it be the all white with the white helmet you've seen the all red look you've seen the you know black jerseys black pants recruits have been given the freedom to kind of wear all kinds of things as of late during some of their visits and a lot of Georgia fans are saying well if the recruits are going to wear these for the visits how about the actual players wear these during the games and look this is one of those things where over the course of time I just have found myself sort of softening my stance a really good bit. Like, I'm a big sports fan, and sports fans oftentimes are uniform fans. You know, they just care about that kind of stuff. Not everybody cares about uniforms, but I've always just thought uniform talk was pretty fun, not just for Georgia football and, you know, that kind of stuff, but around the rest of sports there as well. I have a son. He's 10 years old. We talk a lot about uniforms that we've seen and uniforms that we think look good, and we're playing, like, MLB The Show or something like that. We're both spending five minutes getting our uniforms looking exactly the way we want them to look for the teams that we're going to be playing just it's just kind of fun to think about uniforms if you're a fan so this is a topic that I really enjoy uh not everybody loves it but I do and I would say generally speaking that when it comes to uniform type of stuff I gravitate towards classic looks I like the uniforms in sports that never change Pittsburgh Steelers uh, New York Yankees, you know, Lakers now they wear eight million different uniforms, but you know, in the past they would have been kind of one of those that was a little bit more of a classic uniform. That's just kind of the thing that I have preferred when I'm playing video games against my son. I pretty much concoct some sort of classic or throwback type uniform. That's just what I think looks the best, and so that's kind of the way that I go. But it's also one of those things of there are a lot of things in life that probably matter. There are a lot of things in life that I probably should care about, feel strongly about. But when it comes to something like this, if the majority of people are different from me, I just kind of found myself kind of being more willing to go along with whatever the majority wants. I used to think it'd be bad if Georgia wore a different uniform every week. I've sort of felt like that's kind of weakening your brand a bit, that when you turn on the TV to have brand recognition, to have people look automatically and know who it is that's playing, that's worth something. That's the kind of thing that most companies spend millions of dollars to, to earn for themselves. If you've already got that, it seems weird to me that you'd want to give that away for free. But people seem to have a good time with this. When Whether it be some of the folks online that create their own sort of fake versions of the alternate uniforms or the actual real stuff that Georgia has, 
people seem to clamor for this. They seem to gravitate towards it. And so this is truly one of those things where I'm kind of satisfied to be a little bit of a populist. I'm, I'm sort of satisfied to allow majority to rule on this. If people want the alternate uniforms, I'm not going to stand in the way of them uh, actually occurring. Now, what we've also seen in the past is, is that for whatever reason, Georgia seems to have a big closet for uh, alternate uniforms for recruit visits but a much smaller closet when it comes to actually wearing this stuff during a game. And maybe the white uniform will end up being kind of the same thing there on all of that, but uh, still pretty fun to see uh, nonetheless. So our buddy Terrence Edwards was having some fun with that. In fact, we'll talk to Terrence about that here coming up uh, about how much of an alternate uniform type of thing he'd have a stomach for. Terrence never got to wear the black jerseys while he was at UGA. Although in his freshman year of 98, they did wear black pants at Florida, right? So I guess he had a little bit of uh a little bit of alternate stuff. I'll, I'll ask Terrence on that to make sure I've got the timeline on that right. We'll see if we can uh, uh, get, get that squared away. Uh, actually, maybe his freshman year is t- uh, 1999. So, may, uh, so i gotta, I got to clean that up. We'll ask him. I, I don't know that he ever wore an alternate uniform there at Georgia, but he seems to want these uh, players to wear an alternate uniform. So we'll do that right now. That's Terrence Edwards here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp, and we'll talk to him right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We'll bring in Terrence. And Terrence, I think I just accidentally aged you. I didn't mean to, but you were not a freshman in 1998. If I'm correct, you were a freshman in 1999. So that means you never wore any kind of alternate uniform when you were in Georgia. Am I, am I remembering that correct or am I just all wrong about that? No, you're, you're, you're right about that. Uh, my, my class of, of, you know, Boss and Tony, we came in in 98, but I had to uh, if you remember, Craig, I played basketball that That's my right. first year there. That's right. Then, so I wasn't with the football team at that point in time when we wore the black pants against Florida. But I did get to wear uh, all white in 99 when we went up to Tennessee and okay. played them up in Knoxville. So we we did have the all white. Uh, we didn't have the civil britches. We wore all white pants, all white jerseys, red helmets. So I did get to wear that. Uh, as an alternate uniform. Okay, uh, thanks for helping us remember that. And when, like, your player getting ready to play and then you break out something different, like we've heard stories before of obviously black jerseys, things like that, players get really excited about the idea of just kind of wearing something different. Was there any kind of reaction like that when y'all wore the all-white there in 99? I just think it's, it's a miss, uh, just something different. Um, you know, the Silver Bridges is always going to be a staple of Georgia football. That is never gone anywhere, but uh, to be able to to break out something new is it, always uh, fun for the player. Uh, I, I just know when we wore the black uniform, just the way the the players reacted, the stadium reacted, it's it just fun. We don't have to be Oregon and have twelve different uh, combinations. I think the silver britches is Georgia football, but this new combination that I I put up on Twitter with the white helmets all yeah. white, I, I I love it, man. I, I love it. I think it's 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 a recruiting pick as well once you get out because these kids love gear. They love being able to show off the uniforms, the gear that they get in. It's another thing that I think we should wear at least once a year. My favorite part of it is the stripes going down the middle of the helmet that are reminiscent of the stripes that are also on the pants. That's the best looking part right there. I mean, that that's actually a really cool look. I think all white to me is probably a little bland but people seem to love this but i love the stripes going down the helmet that's the part of this entire look to me that's the sharpest i think so too i think so too i was having a uh discussion with a, a former teammate on my facebook page about it and they didn't really like the 
But I think the the stripes, uh, red stripes and the black stripes are helping that make the outfit. It pops. Uh, I really love this this combination. I hope uh, at some point, as I was pleading to to AD uh, Josh, please at some point, let's one time, uh, one time a year, let's let's do something different. Uh, this combination that I, I really love. So let me ask you this, because what I've said is, is I used to be really pretty traditional about stuff like this, but over the course of time, I've kind of softened my stance because honestly, some of these alternate looks actually do look pretty cool. And if you're Georgian, you've got really good school colors, you know, like red, black, and silver. Those are just good colors. It looks good in a lot of different combinations. You know, maybe there isn't anything wrong with, you know, we've seen recruits also wearing the all red. We've seen some, you know, wearing the, the, the all black and, you know, obviously there's a way to kind of you know combine some of those looks together like how much of a tolerance would you have for georgia wearing not just one thing one time a year but you know a mixture of the of the basic school colors and a lot of different looks different color helmets different color combinations how much of a tolerance for that would you have terrence i just think one time a year is enough i think i, I would rather see those silver britches running out uh majority of the saturdays uh I just think that is what Georgia is, what people know Georgia to be. But I, I do think we need to uh, spice it up a few times a year. One, no more than two two times, but the, the silver bridges is, is what makes Georgia football, and it's, it's the brand. Played some uh, audio before you joined us of uh, Kirby Smart. He was on the Fine Bomb show yesterday. And it's really very similar to some stuff that Smart has already also said this summer as well. Terrence, the sense that I get is is that Kirby's pretty confident right now where his offense can be here this year. Now, he seems to be openly acknowledging the fact that it was very good a year ago, needs to even be better this year because we do expect the defense, which lost five first-round picks, to maybe not be quite what it was last season. And you know, you have to kind of read between the lines on some of this. I'll acknowledge that. But it's not hard to notice that Smart seems to think his offense is ready for the challenge of whatever this season brings and all the fixation on stats better the fixation on you know whatever else the truth is is that georgia was pretty explosive last year and it did, did score a lot of points more often than not and smart seems to think they can score even more for this upcoming season this year do you join him and that level of optimism for what georgia can be here this season i think so i think that when you have a consistency of an offense coordinator who's been there now going his third season sets and now it's would be a, a three-year start at position. I think they trust Stetson to the utmost. I don't think that happened two years ago, um, the year he took over against uh, Arkansas. I just don't think uh, they really trust him then. Now he has the full grasp of the offense. Uh, so I think we can be more explosive. Uh, when you have a, a quarterback that's able to change plays at the line, the line of scrimmage, put them in a better place, and the coaches have confidence in him, uh, that's just going to make the, the offense uh, more explosive and then just being able to call uh plays that you think going to create an explosive play and now trusting the quarterback that he's going to make the, make the right play because you call a play that's, that's predicated on throwing the ball downfield doesn't mean you have to throw it downfield and i think they trust him now to make the right decision and nine times out of ten uh, if you just look at the playoffs that's made the right decision with his legs or his arm, you know, there's going to be some plays with Stetson, make a play that he thinks he could make, and it might not be the right play, but you have to live with that. Long your limit those plays uh, and not become a consistent of making those type of plays that we Stetson have made in the past 
then your offense is going to stay on the field for one and being able to be able to explosive offense for two. Along those lines, you know, we've talked a lot about Todd Munkin over the last few days because Munkin just got the big contract extension around here. We're obviously big believers in the success that he's brought to Georgia. What makes a play caller like that work? I mean, when you watch it as someone who was obviously utilized very well while you played at Georgia and, you know, you understand the coaching part of this there as well because you're deeply involved with that on High School Friday Nights yourself. What do you see as a coach from Munkin as a coach that's enabled him to create so much success for Georgia, frankly, more offensive success than the program was having before he, than before he got here? I think the one thing that the players trust him, uh, I think the players have seen the success that he, that he has had at every stop, uh, especially the NFL. Uh, so the players trust him. Uh, Kirby definitely trusts him that you know, he's able to give him an extension and, and now up to $2 million as, as an offensive coordinator. Uh, so I just think that the uh, consistency now of having him three straight years, I can't remember the last time we had a offense coordinator stay this long uh, for this consecutive many years. And now everyone understands what Colt Monken is looking for. I mean, they, they understand the tempo of practice. They understand what he's trying to get to. Even if Coach Monken sends in a play wrong or it, it doesn't and it doesn't get communicated the way that uh, he would like, from his headset to the people signal the players, the players understand what he's trying to do. And we have the players understanding the coach that would make the offensive system go. One of the big topics right now, SEC spring meetings in Destin, Florida, what the future of this league is going to look like. And there's all kinds of potential changes, you know, playoff format one day way down the line, obviously NIL stuff, things like that. We talk about that all the time. But the one change that we know is coming at some point, although I guess there's a chance it doesn't happen this week officially, is a new kind of schedule for the SEC. Bringing in Oklahoma and Texas is going to give this league a chance to reconsider how it populates its conference championship game. That means divisions and all likelihood going away. And you're sort of left with the possibility of an eight-game conference schedule. That's the same number of conference games the league plays now, but only one permanent opponent if you play the eight-game slate, or you could move to a nine-game conference slate, which might mean you have less room for some of the non-conference matchups that some fans are excited about. You'd have a few more permanent opponents, and you're also traveling around the SEC a little bit more frequently there too. Terrence, there seems to be a pretty intense debate right now on the, is it better for eight? Is it better for nine? Do you have much of an opinion on this? And you know, some of this obviously includes who Georgia would keep playing and who Georgia wouldn't play quite so frequently. You know, what do you feel the right thing is for the SEC as it kind of moves ahead with the scheduling model towards the future? I really enjoyed the, the all-SEC schedule uh, the COVID season. That really, you know, uh, gave you a, a sense of how tough this 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 conference is, being able to play a all-SEC conference. Uh, I just know whatever they decide to go, um, I really hope we keep Auburn as that permanent uh, SEC school because of the, it, you know it's the oldest rivalry in the South. So I really hope Auburn just stays on the schedule every year. Um, but I'm in favor of rotate every year, being able to play new opponents, being able to travel uh, to a Texas, uh, give the, the fans the opportunity to travel to uh, Austin, Texas uh, every other year. I, I like being able to rotate. Uh, common opponents and just really have a a SEC schedule and not being able to schedule so many uh say cupcakes that those games are you know if, if we consider it the best conference let's just seem to play each other play big time opponents and I know that's sad to say because a lot of those smaller schools use this money to uh pay for their athletic budget 
but I, I really like seeing each and every week that the games matter and you have to bring, you know, your A game every week if you play an eight or a nine game schedule. But I just hope we are able to keep uh, Auburn as that permanent uh, school that we play every year. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. That's one of those you know parts of history I would like to preserve, which probably means, sounds like what we're hearing, that does mean going to that nine-game conference schedule. I'll leave you with this, Terrence. Uh, one final question for you. What I do like to hear from Kirby Smart, and we've heard this now from him a couple of days, is is that you know while he kind of wants whatever's best for the SEC, he's also talked a lot about creating compelling matchups for fans. You know, he talked about you know wanting big games, fun matchups, big matchups, whether that be Georgia traveling to go play Notre Dame, which it's done in the past, or traveling more frequently to go play Texas A&M and Texas and teams like that, which you talked about a moment ago. That it seems like to me, at least in terms of Kirby and his you know the influence he has over Georgia that he's at least trying to lead in the right direction of the thing that's best is the thing that creates the most you know um, entertaining matchups, that there's a way you could pad your schedule, play a much easier schedule, but when it's all said and done, that makes the season more boring. I'm not quite so sure that's better. You know, People want good matchups for their favorite team. You may lose a few more of those, but the action itself is just far more compelling. And I kind of like the fact that Kirby Smart's kind of talking that way. My guess is you probably do as well. Oh, most definitely. I like opportunities. I went out to the Notre Dame game. Yeah. And that was an, an experience within itself that I'm uh, happy that I got the opportunity to experience. I mean, I, I the Georgia fans, you know, they showed up and showed out. I mean, I know the game was on the field, but the fans should be able to just uh, pat themselves on the back the way we showed up to that game. And I think that is the type of atmosphere I think Georgia fans would like, especially for that first game of the year, being able to go out and experience some, some teams that we normally don't play. I love the opportunity of playing Oregon in a neutral site the first game of the year. So some teams that we're accustomed not to playing, I love the rivalries, rivalries that we have in the South. But, you know, football now is a more national game. Uh, Georgia recruits on a national level. So when I get out to, you know, play the SEs of the world out in California or Oregon, um, and not just a neutral site, let's do a home-and-home with those with those type teams it just bring a little different environment a little different crowd a little different uh vibe from just always playing the same teams year in and year out i think that's great terrence i uh, remind folks i think get in touch with you you're doing great work with terrence edwards wide receiver academy here this summer training folks up getting them ready for the upcoming season and getting ready in some cases for a future college career there as well so if folks want the training you can provide how can they find it you can find me on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. Terrence, great stuff. I know you're also going to join us for a pre-recorded show next week, so we appreciate that there as well, and we'll talk to you later for that. But I uh, appreciate you being with us here today. No problem. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So uh, one quick point here. You know, in talking about the eight-game versus the nine-game conference schedule, there has been some reporting that – and I think this has just come straight from Greg Sankey's mouth, that they may not announce something today. And I don't know if that was their original, or should say this week, I don't know if that was their original intention to do that or not, but it sounds like the gears are grinding a bit in terms of coming to a culmination on will they play an eight- or nine-game conference schedule in the future. And the sense that I get, based on some of the online chat or internet-type reporting that I've seen, is that maybe, I'm just going to be pretty frank here for a moment, that some of the lesser SEC teams are not in favor of a nine-game schedule. For instance, Kentucky, I think they've been maybe the most vocally outspoken, Matt Jones, KSR, uh, you know, 
figure around the vol uh, the, the the Wildcats program has said that Kentucky believes that the league would have to stay at an eight game conference schedule for it to keep playing Louisville every year. Now that seems to be just sort of made up out of thin air because there are certainly plenty of other in-state rivals for teams currently in the SEC East that you know have out of out of conference in-state rivals and really only Kentucky right now is talking about not being able to play its in-state rival anymore if they go to a nine-game conference late. They've obviously got some non-conference series in future years, but but given the money that's about to come in through TV deals, things like that, Kentucky's got the money to buy out those contracts if that's what it needs to do here in the future. This seems to be about something different. Obviously, it becomes easy to assume that if you're a Kentucky or a Vanderbilt or one of these teams kind of the bottom tier of the sec adding another sec game every year you're replacing a game that maybe you would have had a better chance of winning now sometimes these sec teams haven't fared particularly well in their non-conference games either you know missouri lost to boston college last year and you know things like that but you know it just sort of stands to reason that in most cases a non-conference game especially if it's a you know a, a group of five or an fcs level team that's a guaranteed win playing an sec opponent is far from a guaranteed win and a lot of these smaller schools seem to be taking a self-preservation tact in all this and maybe it's not just the lesser programs that are in favor of the eight game slate but there are certainly seemingly some divisions behind closed doors in this so this conversation is going to be ongoing the assumption here is when it's all said and done tv wins out but if you know but 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 assuming that that, that tv doesn't weigh in too heavily it seems like there's a little bit of division right now around some teams in the sec when it comes to how to do away ironically with divisions moving forward into the future and we'll get more on the sec here in a moment but first let me remind you we're cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean uh, i got my uh tropical theme to georgia shirt on today i'm obviously getting ready for my own vacation many of you doing that there as well let me tell you no better vacation choice for you than a royal caribbean cruise vacation check out our friends the cruise and vacation authority they can tell you more about this online that's tcava.com or give them a call 770-952-8300 the number once again 770-952-8300 and what i like about a great travel agent like the cruise and vacation authority when it comes to a royal caribbean cruise is there are a lot of options and you know i've been on a good number of cruises I've been on two royal caribbean cruises just this, this year alone so if you obviously doing this pretty frequently you get pretty familiar with some of those options but maybe you haven't cruised before maybe you haven't cruised in a while and that's where you know somebody that has done this a bunch or knows all about this can kind of tell you okay if you like this kind of specialty restaurant this is the ship that might be good for you if you if you think this port of call might be a fun place to visit uh, you know this would be a good ship for you to be on which port would you like to sail out of do you want to you know, go, uh, you know, out of Port Canaveral, for instance, which is probably the closest uh, port to where I'm sitting here right now in the Atlanta area. Here are the ships available to you if you want to do that. A lot of different options that my friends, the Cruise and Vacation Authority, can walk you through all of those. So make sure you check them out when it comes to getting your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation planned here for the rest of 2022. Speaking of 2022 on the college ball field for a moment, I told you that David Hale at ESPN.com, the headline ranking all 131 college football quarterback situations in tiers. And some of these are more of a situation than other. We told you about uh, what Hale said about Stetson Bennett a little earlier. Here is uh, Hale's Heisman or bust tier one. It's CJ Stroud, it's Caleb Williams, it's Bryce Young. One thing I keep telling you here is Caleb Williams did not have quite as good a year last year. Some people think that he did. 
Uh, so we'll see if it really is a Heisman or bust type year or if it's more Heisman or more bust for Williams there at USC. Obviously, he's going to be playing against pillow soft defenses, and he's got Jordan Addison as wide receiver. But listen, college football ain't that easy to predict. It never has been. The Tier 2 group is uh, NC State's Devin Leary, Utah's Cam Rising, Miami's Tyler Van Dyke, and then Stetson Bennett is the Tier 2A just below that, which is funny. But if you take these tiers seriously, that also gives Bennett a status ahead of a lot of other SEC quarterbacks that typically get a lot more attention than he does. Hendon Hooker from Tennessee, Mississippi State's Will Rogers, uh, K.J. Jefferson from Arkansas, obviously Will Levis from Kentucky. So this is an interesting you know, kind of twist on what we talked about the other day where when you're seeing top 20, top 25 quarterbacks ranked, you didn't see Stetson Bennett's name included in that from some other media members as of late. I think that's probably a little bit more accurate. And I'm not telling you I'd take uh, – you know, in, in a in a sort of comparison based on stats alone, I'm not telling you I'd take Bennett over uh, Rattler or Bennett over Hooker necessarily, but we saw, you know, Bennett uh, certainly outplay Will Levis a year ago, and that's a guy that's being mentioned as a first-round pick and things like that. But, you know, in the head-to-head matchup with the two guys, Levis did not outplay Stetson Bennett there that day. Now you say, well, Levis had to go up against the Georgia defense, which is certainly true, but guess what? Stetson Bennett is still going to be playing on the same team as the Georgia defense for this year there as well. There will be plenty of instances, in other words, in what we think of as a high-profile quarterback matchup where Bennett's going to fare better than some people sort of think that he's going to. However, the other thing that kind of comes to mind for me is when you think about Levis and I'll add Anthony Richardson to that conversation, Spencer Rattler in that discussion, you know, of these relatively new quarterbacks in the SEC or quarterbacks in the SEC, they're going to get some attention. Hooker deciding to come back again this year certainly puts him in that category. You know, who really puts their mark on the season? You know, who really goes out there? For instance, a game we've talked about before, you know, could, you know, Spencer Rattler go on the road early in the year win at Arkansas in a duel against KJ Jefferson can he come away the uh the better guy there and you know create a little bit of excitement around the South Carolina program with a big win on the road against an SEC West foe something that's not easy to do or is it Anthony Richardson in a couple of early season matchups against the you know rising kid from uh, Utah or against Levis from Kentucky playing at home? Can Anthony Richardson be the guy that that, that fares better there? We're actually going to talk a little bit about Florida some on some of next week's shows and kind of the interesting scenario for the Gators ahead of the cocktail party. You know how does all of that uh, you know go down there? Um, I think this quarterback situation in the SEC is probably more fascinating than it's been in quite some time, and it's probably worth paying attention to. A couple of other things here for a moment. So uh, Jimbo Fisher yesterday basically said that he's moving on and he's done. He kind of gave you a Bill Belichick, we're on to Cincinnati. When it comes to uh, uh, when it comes to his feud there with Nick Saban, probably had to do that. You know, I don't know that this uh, this particular war of words made either guy look great. But I do think that Jimbo Fisher was probably the overall winner in this. Not everybody agrees with that. I saw Paul Feinbaum said some what I thought was pretty ridiculous stuff about this yesterday. But when it's all said and done, I thought that Jimbo probably got the most clean shots landed on Saban. The fact that Saban had to apologize, I believe, has diminished him some. And now Jimbo Fisher's kind of moving on from this. But I think when you see the atmosphere and the mood around this at SEC spring meetings, you understand just how unorthodox it was. The fact that you did have Kirby being asked direct questions of, hey, was Alabama cheating when you were there? And, you know, Nick Saban facing some of that kind of stuff there as well. This is the kind of thing that 
most coaches don't like to set up other coaches to have to talk about. Jimbo Fisher kind of went there for a minute, and now he's seemingly somewhat backtracking. But nonetheless, the blows were landed, and uh, yesterday he tried to put all that toothpaste back in the tube. Uh, also, one final thing here, and Connor Riley had a story on this yesterday at DogNation.com about what the future of the Georgia-Florida rivalry looks like. And, you know, listen, there's obviously some speculation. I know Mike, it's a very popular topic for him, but when Mike Griffith was on the show yesterday, he talked a little bit more about that there as well, which is that, hey, if you do move to a nine-game conference schedule, can you preserve the the neutral site game between Georgia and Florida? I like the cocktail party. I enjoy playing the game in Jacksonville. I'm also a realist in that as change continues to happen all around us, there is no uh, you know, potential change that would be sacred, no potential change that you could say it's unfathomable this would ever take place. Obviously, Georgia and Florida and Jacksonville is another example of that. Well, I guess, though, on the side of the Gators here, you can count St- Scott Strickland, the not the Georgia baseball coach, but the Florida athletic director, as a fan of the game where it is. He says uh, this week that there's a lot of tradition there. Gators feel pretty strongly about that. It's been there for decades. I think it served both schools really well. I'd like to see it continue. That's what he says. But can it? I guess we'll wait and find out there on that. Uh, A couple more years left in the current contract. uh, And we'll see if there's a way to kind of keep this in place for those of us who enjoyed the cocktail party in the past. Will we still get to enjoy that in the future? I guess we'll find out sooner rather than later. We'll make that cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And by the way, speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, we'll give you our Gator Hater update or Gator Hater countdown here in a moment. But let me also do what we always do to close out our show there as well with our golden shoe. And as said before, a lot of discussion right now about what future SEC schedules might look like. The possibility if you play a nine-game slate, you'd have three permanent opponents. The folks over at College Football Reddit, if you follow that uh, board at all, had a very funny graphic they put up. Uh, and this is a joke they say one scheduling model the sec is exploring is the three plus six model in which each team would have three fixed opponents and rotate through the rest of the opponents per sources here's what the leading proposal for that might look like and the graphic here if you're listening radio podcast is all the sec teams each playing vanderbilt three times a lot of these sec schools if that's what they could do that's certainly what they'd want to do pretty funny stuff from reddit on that how about Lattice's Stinking Gators? Long national title drop for them, 4,893 days. And a Gator Hater countdown still in Jacksonville for now. We hope for a long time to come. But 149 days, we'll all be back there watching Georgia, we believe, beating Florida again. That is our Gator Hater countdown. We are Gator Haters, and we'll see you tomorrow here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. We'll take your comments here. You can hit me up on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or in the comment section there when we post the show at DogNation.com. I thought that James Lawson, who was actually with us in the Dog Nation cruise a few days ago, I thought he had a really interesting point about something that could happen if the divisions were scrapped, and they are going to be. It certainly seems to the SEC. He says, so the SEC does do away with divisions. Does that mean that, that Georgia can rematch with Florida in the SEC title game, uh, which is kind of an interesting point. Now, obviously, Florida had to be good enough to make the title game, but that would be the case. But in years past, they've certainly been good enough to do that. And we've seen Georgia play one of its rivals in a rematch in the title game going back 2017. Uh, obviously, Georgia played Alabama in a national championship game rematch after the SEC title this year. So that is one of the things that could be possible for a you know georgia florida rivalry that's had a lot of very interesting chapters added to it in recent years this could be the next thing on the horizon you know sometimes changes end up being kind of changed for the better and if it gave you a chance to beat florida twice in the same season 
I'd say that's probably a pretty good thing and a pretty interesting point there uh, for James. It kind of reminds me of a couple of years ago, we saw Louisville and Kentucky play in the NCAA tournament for the first time. This past Final Four, we saw Duke and Carolina play in the uh, Final Four, obviously what turned out to be Coach K's last game. So you know, the idea of a rivalry rematch has existed in some cases in sports before. And for Georgia, Florida, a chance to have maybe a rivalry rematch at some point in time and actually play in an SEC title game. That's at least certainly something kind of interesting to think about as you move towards the future. You know, two teams who have obviously played a lot of neutral site games in Jacksonville playing that neutral site game in Atlanta with the SEC title on the line. I could say that could be pretty fun. So interesting stuff, James. Thanks for sharing that. And to all of you who send your comments and to participate in our podcast, School Down, we appreciate that there as well. So continue to do that when we post the show at dognation.com or hit me up on Twitter at dognationdaily. We'll do a podcast cool down tomorrow and then we'll be without a podcast cool down next week because I'm on vacation. We'll still have podcasts, but just no podcast cool down and then back again in the full normal format the Monday after that. So thanks for always being a part of this. Really appreciate that. Thank you for checking out R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com if you want your air conditioning unit tuned back up factory fresh specs just cost 99 dollars and it'll keep you cool all summer long without having to get a new air conditioning unit to do so so it's really worth your time find them online rsandrews.com and we'll see you back here again tomorrow